0: Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning once again to the third chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter written to the Romans where we will again this week be looking at verses 21 through 26 Romans 3:21 through 26 and you can find that passage on page 1106 in your Pew Bibles. This morning we are once again going to be focusing in on the doctrine of justification as the Apostle Paul lays it out for us in such vivid detail here in this third chapter of Romans. Last week we began looking at the very important, crucial in fact, few verses here in chapter 3 of this letter, the opening verses of this, this section, And we, for the most part, spent all of our time coming to grips with the weight that is implied in this great transition here. As Paul says those two little words, but now. Beloved, I gather you will remember from last week that we must feel the weight of those two words. We must consider what it is that Paul is here implying with them. And I won't revisit the opening two chapters of this letter entirely this morning. We've looked at them before together. But it is important for us to consider what Paul has been saying about what had been manifested before if we are ever to see the glory of what he's saying is now made manifest. He sums it up for us in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, No flesh will be justified in his, that is in God's sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law has been manifested. And far from pointing to the adequacy of mankind to achieve a right standing with Almighty God, or even giving us a standard that we are to shoot for, it continually points to our absolute inadequacy and ever attaining to a righteousness that will satisfy a perfectly holy God and satisfy His wrath against our sin. We are born into, conceived in fact in sin, and we still break the law of God continually in this life. The law, contrary to what so many believe today, does not urge us to get back up and brush ourselves off and to just try a little harder. It does not tell us to dig deeper, to man up and just get after it. The law condemns us. And it always condemns us continually. It always points us towards our unrighteousness and our judgment, our condemnation, as those who break the holy law of God. That's been Paul's message here. We, apart from the grace of Almighty God in the gospel, we are condemned, beloved, because we are sinners. And God is perfectly holy. His judgment is perfectly just. And he will not stand, he will not tolerate sin. So we have a serious problem. And it's the solution to that problem that has the Apostle Paul so eager here to tell these Romans, indeed, to tell the whole world, the good news that in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed. The righteousness that we cannot attain to through our own efforts. The righteousness that alone satisfies God's justified wrath. The righteousness that meets all of the just demands of God's holy law. And if we have truly come to grips with the extent of the bad news, then this is the greatest news ever uttered in a fallen world. Not only for all of mankind, but even for us as individuals as well. And that's why we had to sort of pause last week and we had to just stop and consider the sheer weight of what Paul is saying here in this 21st verse. On the heels of hearing the indictment brought against us by Almighty God, on the heels of knowing for a fact that you and I have no defense to even offer, that we are guilty and we know it, that our mouths have been closed. We know we are justly condemned by the law and that we bear the responsibility for breaking it. And Paul says, yes, you do. All of that is true. But now. But now, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now God's righteousness has been clearly revealed. But now you are justified, though a sinner, though dead in trespass and sin, you are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone because of the amazing grace of Almighty God alone. Beloved, I know I say that all the time, but it really ought to stir something within you. This message ought to fan into flame that wonderful gift of faith through which Almighty God, in His unbelievable mercy, in a wonderful, glorious, gracious act, has opened your blind eyes to the brilliant glory of Jesus Christ. It ought to ignite something within us. Do you hear the Apostle Paul this morning? Listen to what he's saying God's law is perfect. And it condemns us. And it must be answered for. It must be satisfied. You cannot now, nor will you ever keep it. Not even if you live thousands of years, could you ever through your perseverance, through your experience, through your gritting your teeth, buckling up and learning from all of your mistakes, you would not ever get it right. In fact, the very fact that we do not live thousands of years is just further proof that we never get it right. The wages of sin is death. And beloved, we all die. We begin the process of dying with that very first breath. All of life under the sun in one sense is the act of dying. We are sinners, and sinners die. If you see what your sin has done, if you know it to be the truth, then this but now here allows you to gasp in exasperated relief. Truly, it does more than that. If you understand your predicament, And if you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying to you here about the righteousness of God being manifested in the person and work of Jesus Christ, about it being embraced by faith, faith that he alone freely gives, then ask yourself this morning, what effect should that kind of news have on your life right now, this morning? This gospel that Paul is so vividly laying out for us here in this letter to the Romans really is fuel for the Christian life. This is what causes that eternal gratitude for our salvation to become manifested in the way that we live. This is what causes it. This message is our source for lives that truly are sacrifices of praise. It's the heart of the Christian life. We cannot fail to come to grips with it. We who are clearly guilty are declared by God righteous, justified. We are dressed or cloaked in the spotless garment of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that declaration transforms the life of the one who sees it by faith as a declaration of who he or she is in Jesus Christ. Beloved, it makes living in this world as pilgrims our joy. It makes being together on a morning such as this one, in the house of God, with the people of God, for the purpose of praising God, being fed by His Word, having faith within us, nourished and strengthened, it should make it our highest delight. Our greatest joy. Our privilege as the declared children of our Heavenly Father. And so this morning we continue in our look together at this wonderful good news of the gospel and the glorious doctrine of justification through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So I'd like you to follow along once again as I read from the Holy Word of God, Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. Hear now the word of our Lord. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. his righteousness because in his forbearance god had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus this is the word of our lord may he always bless the reading of it let's pray Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful this morning for the wonderful privilege and opportunity that we have as your people to come together and to hear the word of our Lord and to sit under the preaching of the word of our Lord. And So, Father, we pray that you would fill us with faith this morning. We pray that your spirit would open these words to us and that hearing these words, we would be transformed by them for your glory. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know I've mentioned this before, but many years ago, probably 20-some years ago, I used to spend all of my time listening to old CDs of The White Horse Inn, uh, not long after it started. And I can remember listening to one episode of The White Horse Inn that really hit home with me and really revealed to me just how sad the state of the evangelical church in our day really was. It also served to point out my own naivete in thinking that one could ever just sort of move on from the glorious good news that we find manifested in the gospel, and specifically in this doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that is so clearly defined for us in this text of sacred scripture. And in that program, the hosts of that show had sent one of their young producers to a large gathering of evangelicals on the west coast for the purpose of asking those masses that were gathered there together in the name of Jesus Christ one simple question what is justification what is justification the answers were as astounding and grievous to my soul as they were horrifically wrong. I say I realized my own naivete because I would have guessed at that time in my life that perhaps six, maybe seven out of every ten evangelicals would be able to give at least some answer resembling an orthodox view of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And I want to tell you it's not the case. You can go back and listen to that episode. I remember vividly I was working in in my truck shop and I was the only one there and I remember just being moved to tears by the sad reality of the situation as person after person after person failed to even come remotely close to being able to explain justification. And beloved, I bring it up here to challenge you this morning. When I ask you, how well can you explain it? And I want you to understand something. This is not A heady theological issue that's better left to the educated theologians out there. This doctrine of justification is a matter of life and death for you. For me. For everyone. This is the very heart of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the heart of it. This doctrine is central to, actually, to the actual living out of what we would call the Christian life. This doctrine is central in living in eternal gratitude to Almighty God. It's not something you can just sort of hear and then move on to bigger and better things. There are no bigger or better things. Nothing comes close to this. So we must come to grips with it. And I mentioned last week that this really was the issue that was at the very center of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. This is the doctrine that Martin Luther said was the very article upon which the Church of Jesus Christ either stands or falls. John Calvin said that the doctrine of justification is the hinge by which everything else J.I. Packer, writing closer to her own day, has described it as the atlas that carries the whole of the Christian faith upon its shoulders. It is essential to what we are as Christians. And we must come to grips with it, we must understand it, we must embrace it. If we are ever to see, by the grace of God, the amazing nature of the salvation that has been given to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must never move on from this to bigger and better things. There is nothing bigger, there is nothing better than this to the one who has been given eyes to see it for what it truly is. And the Apostle Paul is pleading with you here to hear him. Every word in this text is dripping with deep and gloriously rich meaning And has so much application for us in all of life. So we must clear our minds. We must clear our heads of all the distractions that are before us in the world today. Even this morning. And we must look and hear at what Paul is saying. Because of all the error that is so rampant in the church in our day. Even as it was in Paul's day. We must be very clear about what Paul is not saying. About justification from the very outset of our discussion of, the, of justification I want to be clear Paul is not saying that justification is merely an act of divine pardon the further you go into this epistle it becomes more and more clear but many today have this idea of justification as being merely about divine pardon There's forgiveness in it, to be sure. But there's much more than just that. We tend to think of pardon as an act of forgiveness. You know, in in our country, when a, a president, at the end of his term, he extends a pardon, this is exactly what he's doing. He's saying, look, you did this, you were tried and you were found guilty, but now I forgive you of your wrongdoing. I brush it under the rug. I declare you have paid enough, and so I set you free from your conviction. You understand, it's not a declaration of innocence. It's merely the forgiving of a wrongdoing. And that is not what God is doing when he declares us justified. He does not throw out our conviction. He does not decide to brush our guilt under the rug. He does not merely say, you are forgiven, now get out there and do better next time. No, in justification, as Paul describes it to us here and elsewhere, he's showing us that God declares us just, though we are sinners. He removes our guilt, he places it on another, and he takes the righteousness of the other and he gives it to us. We are righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has not just looked out upon humanity and taken some small chunk of our sinfulness and then placed it upon Jesus Christ at the cross and called that sufficient. You understand, he's removed all of our sin. Past, present, and future. He's placed all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our condemnation upon the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. And he's given to us his perfect righteousness so that we stand before him cloaked in the perfection of Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week that that is exactly what the Heidelberg Catechism makes so clear in question and answer 60. Not only that our sins have been entirely removed upon us and placed upon Jesus Christ as if we never had sin, but he's also granted and imputed to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never committed nor had any sins and had myself accomplished all of the obedience which christ has fulfilled for me if only i accept such benefit with a believing heart so justification is not just a declaration that our guilt has been acknowledged and sort of moved on from but it is a declaration that it has been entirely removed and it's been replaced with the innocence of christ Though it is freely given by the grace of God, it was certainly costly. God who gave his only begotten son for it, to be our propitiation for sin. It cost him his life. His life which was given for that very purpose. Justification involves forgiveness. Forgiveness. But the justice of God demanded far more than just looking the other way and saying, okay, I forgive you now. There was a price paid for our redemption. And it was a price of inestimable value. We're going to see that more and more as we go on, but we must be clear from the outset. And as we move on in verse 21, I think there are questions that we must answer. For example, what does Paul mean when he says, apart from the law? Paul says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Is the law done away with? Has God brought forth another way apart from the law to save us? Understand that second question is born out of the wrong idea that God had given us a way of salvation through the law and that we failed to do it. So he came up with another way, another way apart from the law. That's not at all what Paul is saying here. In fact, the next few words of verse 21 seem to obliterate that idea when Paul says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. He's clearly saying that the way has always been about this way that is now being made manifest, that is now being revealed. Before it was manifested in types and shadows, but now it has become manifested clearly in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why does he say apart from the law? Well, we must remember what Paul has been doing here. He's made it very clear what the law was for. And it was not for showing us merely how to be righteous. No, it was the opposite of that. It was given to show us Just how unrighteous we truly are. Do you understand? Paul had made it clear. Especially to the Jewish people. Who thought that they were okay. Because they knew the law. That even they did not keep the law. The Gentiles did not keep the law. The Jewish people did not keep it either. The whole point is. That it was never given. To justify man. To reconcile sinful man to a holy God. By the deeds of the law. No flesh will be justified. The law was given to bring us. To the knowledge of sin. It shows us our predicament. We are sinners who need a righteousness. That we in and of ourselves. Can never ever reach. We are dead. In trespasses and sins. There is none good, no, not one. And so we must see in the law the end of ourselves, the end of our efforts to ever satisfy the wrath of God because of our sin. Because the wrath of God has already been manifested in the law. Paul rejoices now to announce that the way of God's righteousness, the way that we so desperately need to see, has been revealed. The only way that will ever suffice. The way that we all. Paul included desperately need to know. It has now been revealed in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament. Looked forward to this revelation. But now Paul announces. It has come. It is manifest. But now it is clearly revealed. Now emphasizes the historical aspect of this grand announcement in all of history all of history from the time of the fall has been sort of craning its neck towards this revelation of god's righteousness apart from the law that is apart from man's efforts to satisfy god beloved this is one of those things that separates christianity from the other religions of this world it is based in historical facts and events it's more than just a philosophy it's more than just a teaching it is absolutely grounded in history and indeed is the very purpose behind history every religion has a philosophy every religion has a teaching or teachings but christianity is grounded in history before it's a teaching Paul is saying in effect here that now, at this time, he can announce with joy and with confidence that God has revealed the very purpose of history and the events surrounding the ministry, the life, the death, and the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the weight of that. Jesus Christ came for this. He was anticipated for this. And He came not just to give us some moral pattern to follow, not to simply exhort us to get along and to work harder at loving one another. He came as the long-anticipated purpose of history. To justify His sinful bride. To reconcile you and I to Almighty God to purchase us for all of eternity. He came to justify his elect. And to guarantee them eternity in heaven. In the very presence of God himself. He came to be our righteousness. He came to be that which we could never be. And to provide the only way to reconciliation. With a perfectly holy God. Beloved, that's why it's so critical to see here. This is everything to the believer. This is the thing that separates us from simply being called to try our hardest and just endeavor to live the good life. Jesus came to satisfy the holy law of God that only condemns us. He is our righteousness. Beloved, do you understand why it's so critical for you to know that? If you do not get this, and you feign to be a follower of Jesus Christ and a pursuer of moral superiority, you will forever wallow in a mask of self-loathing, self-pity, in a joyless, restless, comfortless form of Christianity without any of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Paul was so eager to open up to you in this letter. Why? Listen to me. If you think that Jesus laid aside the glory that was his with the Father, that he put on flesh, and embraced, the, embraced willingly the suffering, the horrific suffering of the cross, simply to enable you to do better, then what do you do when you fail? And you know that you fail. We all fail daily. What do we do if that's our philosophy? If you keep trying to get better, you will live your life in a dreadful state of continually running up against an immovable brick wall. If your life is defined about being better in Adam, then you've missed the glory about being in Christ. The Christian life for you will be one step forward and 6,000 steps backward. If you keep going to the law for your relief, you will never, ever find it. It was not meant to make you feel as if God is okay with you. With your, at least, good intentions. That's not what the law was for. It was meant to drive you towards His righteousness. The righteousness that you so desperately need that has been revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Beloved, do you see it? Paul is not calling you to a life of morbid introspection, where you continually try to find the good in yourself. He's calling on you to stare, to gaze intently at the beauty of God's righteousness revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And never look away. Reformation 21, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website several years ago, had an article about this very thing in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I, I, I know I quote it all the time. It's one of my favorite books or series of books from my childhood. But if you've read those books, then you know, especially in that one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know the change that came over the little boy Edmund when he had been saved by the lion Aslan. And it was not that Edmund's self-interest now became more focused on doing better things than he was doing before. That's how evangelicalism tends to think. That's what we do in Christ. Self-interest just becomes a little more focused on good things than bad things. But that's not how it happens in that book. Edmund no longer spent any of his time trying to satisfy himself at all. Prior to that, that's all he did, was live for Edmund. But after that, he he spent no more time trying to meet his own desires, thinking about himself continually. No, the book says that Edmund was content to simply gaze upon Aslan. And the fruit of that was that Edmund began to forget himself. Or I should say, he began to get over himself altogether. Because faith no longer gazes inward. That's a huge point. Faith gazes intently upon Jesus Christ. And seeing him in his glory for what he is, we begin to be transformed through our gazing in faith. Today I fear that too many of us are content to think that faith causes us now to look upon our own hopes, our own efforts, our own abilities to take what we know and somehow get busy doing big things for God. We tend in this introspective humanistic age to think that it is faith that allows for us to be all that we can be for the glory of God. And if we know the right things, then those things will help us along our way to being all that we can be, meeting, if you will, our full potential through faith. That faith will make us the ones who are serious about the things of God. That Faith is our tool, our weapon to go out into this world and leave our mark. We just need a little more faith. But Paul does not speak of faith that way here. To be sure, what he says is that what we need to see is the righteousness of God revealed apart from the law. That's what we need to see. And the only way that we can see that righteousness is by faith. Faith that God alone gives. What really is faith? Well, again, the Catechism speaks very clearly to that question and question and answer 21, one we're probably all familiar with. What is true faith? True faith is not only a sure knowledge. Whereby I hold for truth. All that God has revealed to us in his word. But also a hearty trust. Which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel. That not only to others. But to me also. Forgiveness of sins. Everlasting righteousness and salvation. Are freely given by God. Merely of grace. Only for the sake of. Of Christ's merits. No morbid introspection there. Faith is the instrument given to me by God. Through which I can see and embrace. The wonderful message of of the gospel. And all of sacred scripture. For the absolute truth. Not only does faith know that it is the truth. But faith trusts in its message. Namely, that in Jesus Christ, I have all that I could ever need for all of eternity. Forgiveness, everlasting life. In fact, the whole of salvation is mine because of him and because of his work. Therefore, faith locks on to Jesus Christ. Faith causes me to go opposite the desires of my fallen flesh, which is to focus all of my attention on what I am doing and how I am being perceived. Faith gives up on self. It puts it to death. Faith rests in Jesus Christ. Faith sees God's revelation of righteousness apart from the law, and it lives there. The righteousness that we see by faith, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the righteousness that we long for as the children of God. It is the righteousness that brings life to death. Beloved, do you see Jesus Christ by faith? Your faith is not given for you to go and make a name for yourself. It's given for you to see your salvation and to live to give glory to the God who gives it. To not spend your time looking away from him into the depth of your own soul. Faith sees Jesus as the very center of all of history. Faith sees Jesus in the promises. Faith sees Jesus in the law and the prophets. Faith beholds the Lord Jesus Christ as the grand theme standing behind the tabernacle and the temple. Faith sees Jesus as the Passover lamb, the scapegoat. He's the substance of every single shadow and seeing him by faith being justified by faith alone and jesus christ alone faith is never content to look anywhere else that's why edmund couldn't take his eyes off aslan what else was there what else was there to live for the righteousness apart from the law is revealed in jesus christ And it is by faith that we see him there. Beloved, do you understand what Paul is saying? We need that righteousness. He spent the first two and a half chapters of this epistle telling you why. You will never achieve it in the law. Christ did it for you. And faith lives in that knowledge. It's where faith is content to dwell. Faith is the channel through which the righteousness of Jesus Christ flows to you and becomes yours. Who has faith? All of those who believe in him, who trust in him, who rest in his work. That's the mark of faith. And it's manifested in love for God, love for neighbor, fueled by your joyful thankfulness for this amazing salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. Do you know what it means when the Apostle Paul says with with held breath, you are justified by faith? Beloved, if you do, then it ought to be your joy to be here this morning. Where else is there to be? To sing out praises to this Savior that we see together by common faith. To hear the soothing balm, the cool, refreshing breeze blowing down from Zion of His good news of the gospel. There is no greater news. Is it good news to you this morning? If not, then please start again from the beginning. Pray to Almighty God for the faith that only He can give. See the law condemning your sin. And by faith, look up and gaze upon the righteousness revealed apart from the law. Gaze intently upon the Lord Jesus Christ and never look away. And offer up the praises that are due his name through faith. Amen. Let's pray.